0: morning I want to talk to us, whether you are a believer in Christ or not, I want to talk to us about something very, very important. I want to talk about relationships. And I think we will all agree that relationships matter. Whether it is a husband and a wife, whether it is a parent and a son or daughter, whether it's the elders in the church and the church itself, or whether it's you as a believer in Christ and your relationship with Christ. Hopefully we all agree that relationships matter because that's what life is about, our relationships. And when relationships are good and positive, we feel good about ourselves, we feel good about life. But when the relationships are strained, or stressful, or negative, or there is not a good connection, there is trouble, and life isn't so pleasant. What I want us to realize today as we explore what it means to be connected to the true vine is that our relationship and our connection with Jesus Christ determines all relationships that we have. Let me say that again. Our relationship with Jesus Christ and how well we're connected with him determines what the rest of our relationships look like. Likewise, other people's relationship with Christ determines what your relationship looks like with them. So my heart breaks... For myself and for others when there's not a good connection with Christ. So if a husband is not connected with Jesus Christ, guess what? His relationship with his wife isn't going to look that great. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be strong. If a dad is not connected with Christ, his relationship with his children, with his sons and daughters, is not going to look Healthy and strong and positive. If the elders in the church, not just our church, but any church, are not connected with Jesus Christ, then the church body is going to suffer. And the relationships in the church are not going to be there. And on and on it goes. And I think that Jesus wants us, more than anything, to understand that life centers around our relationship with him. Now I said whether you're a believer or not one thing you need to know if you do not know Jesus Christ actually his words today were to just believers but you need to know that the way you change your relationship with others is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ and so as you hear the words today if you have not yet said yes to Jesus Let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus because it will impact every relationship that you have. Now in order to set the stage, Jesus wants us to know something and this is a true principle as it relates to relationships. Maintaining a relationship when the relationship is no longer connected is very, very hard. You see, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, which by the way, I would encourage you to be reading that this week. And if you didn't sign up for the 21 days of Easter, be reading this week, John 13 through 20. But in John 13 through 17, Jesus is basically saying, He's no longer going to have a relationship where he is present. He's not going to be talking to him like I'm talking to you right now. They're not going to be able to see him. They're not going to be able to touch him. They're not going to be able to hear from him. They're not going to be able to to sleep next to him. They're They're not going to be able to be in a close physical relationship with Jesus, and it's going to get hard. And so he wants to say, how can we maintain a relationship when we are no longer present? Now, I understand this. Uh, I, I have an older son, Micah, and I've talked about him before. And he is not physically present. He's 23 years old and trying to maintain a relationship with him that is healthy and strong when he's out in Phoenix, Arizona, is very, very difficult. And he doesn't want to talk on the phone like most 23-year-olds. He wants me to text him. And, you know, the, the texting conversation is very simple. How are you doing? And everybody knows the answer? Fine. Like, wow, that's a positive relationship, Micah. And if you're listening to this online, which you usually do, um, it needs to be a little bit deeper, right? And so you know what he's going to do? He, he does this. He says, fine, WBU. And if you don't know what WBU is, it took me a little while. What about you? And then I try to, you know, and again, I try to talk into my phone because I can't t- text very fast. So I talk and I, I do all this thing and then, then there's silence. And I'm like, Micah, what's going on? It's like, Dad, I get busy. Man, so then he, he connects with me later on. But that's hard to do. Likewise, some of you understand what it's like. Not only when there's physical distance, but when there is emotional distance or relational distance, when you're not feeling loved, you're not feeling secure in the relationship, it's hard it's hard to maintain that relationship. And Jesus gives us some powerful insight on how we remain connected to him. Now he's going to use some language, he's going to use an illustration, he's going to use a word picture and the, the, the gospel writer John, he's going to use words, and he's going to repeat them often, that sometimes we don't use in our language, like abide or remain or live with. We, we don't talk usually in those terms. So I'm using the term connected. And I think everybody knows what it means if you're, you're on your phone or you're at your computer at home, what it means to be connected to the Wi-Fi. And so I want you to think about your connection this morning to the Wi-Fi, which is Jesus Christ. And how many bars do you have? And is there a relationship? So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This morning I'm going to do a little bit different of a twist. Actually, I spoke on this passage a couple of years ago, which you probably could find it online somewhere. Uh, But John chapter 15 is a powerful passage. Now, again, we need to know the context. In John 13, he has told his disciples that he is leaving them, and he wants them to do one thing, and that is to love one another just as he has loved us. And in John 14, he tells the disciples, and Brian talked about this last week, don't let your hearts be troubled. And why don't you let your hearts be troubled? Well, he's going away. He's going to the Father. And he's shown us the way to the Father, but he's going to be leaving us. And he, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And it gets confusing. And so at the end of John 14, he basically says, you're no longer going to be talking to me the way we're talking right now. So how do you maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ when he's not physically present? And so he picks up in John chapter 15 and Do not picture that they're in a classroom somewhere. They're outside. And I imagine they're walking by a vineyard. And Jesus is using the physical to point out a spiritual truth. He's focusing in not on rooms in a mansion like in John 14. Now he's focusing in on something that is alive and organic. And how does life work? And how does creation work? And how does our relationship work? And so in verse... 1 of chapter 15 he says I am the true vine now notice he just doesn't say I am the vine he says I am the true vine and we're gonna spend a lot of time there this morning why is he saying he's the true vine literally I'm real I'm genuine that must mean that there's some false vines out there and we're gonna look at those and he says my father is the vine dresser I don't have a lot of time this morning, but do not gloss over that. Do not just let your eyes jump from that. Literally, God the Father is the farmer. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. He's the one that is gonna make us grow individually and corporately. Well, how does he do that? He says in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every Branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more or bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He is that that bears much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, right away, don't be thinking he's talking about hell here. Um, I got not a lot of time to talk about this. I do have something that I've created to help you understand what Jesus is talking in that verse about. Um, Verse 7 says this, it says, If you abide in me and my words, not literally the word of God, he's talking about his spoken words here. If my spoken words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. In this section, over ten times he says, abide or remain. Six times he says, in me. Jesus Christ is saying, the way that we maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ is we need to be connected to him. And if we are connected to him, guess what? We will bear fruit. It is the natural consequences of having a connection with Christ. And when we talk about fruit, I think it's more than just talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Some people think that the fruit is talking about converts and people coming to know Christ because of your connection with him. I sort of tend to view this that the fruit here is talking about our connection with Christ and the ramifications that come from that. We will be attractive. Literally, we will be Christ-like. And so when people see us, do they see Christ in us? That is the fruit. If they're not seeing Christ in us, guess what? Then we're not connected to Christ and he wanted his disciples to know something, that he was the true vine, that meant that there was going to be opportunities for us to connect to a false vine. For the Jews and the Pharisees who would have been hearing Jesus and listening to Jesus, they would have realized that Jesus was comparing himself to Israel. And literally he's saying, Israel was supposed to be the true vine. You can read about that in Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were supposed to be a vineyard that was alive and healthy. But they actually became dead and deadly and they weren't attractive. And so what Jesus is saying is that the rules and the regulations and the law is not what a relationship with God looks like. It's about having a relationship that is based upon love and faithfulness and communication. So, here are these three false vines I'm gonna talk about, and I could talk about 20 false vines, and sometimes I may say you, but understand I'm talking to me here because. All of these false vines are present in our culture today. And so I'm actually speaking to myself. This is where I get these ideas from. And they're vines that we try to connect to that are false, that produce no fruit and keep us from connecting to the true vine. So here's the first one. The first false vine is what I call comfort. The desire to feel safe to feel comfortable, uh, to feel good about my situation, to to have everything just feel so right. Here's the definition that I created for this one. Comfort is the desire to feel safe and good about my life. I don't know if I want to admit this or not, but yesterday... uh, When I was sort of getting ready to do some work outside, I was just unwinding a little bit, sat down, turned on the TV. And on Saturdays, you see, when I turn on the TV, where do I want to go? I want to go to ESPN, the NFL Network, something like that. But I know that that is not too kind to my wife, Michelle. And so I went to love it or list it. I know it doesn't sound too manly to watch love it or list it, but we were watching love it or list it. I always feel sorry for David. I feel like Hillary has got the best chance. And the reason Hillary has the best chance is because she is playing on these things called emotions. Usually, this must be something that is a guarantee to be on the show. Someone is in love with their home. Emotionally in love with their home. For some reason, usually it's the female, but I don't know what's going on there. But they're emotionally attached to their home, but there are serious problems. And then this guy named David, he's a realtor, and he's got to go and find a better home. And and I was watching this, and it is just so predictable. I always know what's going to happen in the show, so I don't know why people like to watch Love It or List It, but you know what's going to happen. So David goes out of his way, and he finds the home that fits this family perfectly. It is cheaper, it has more space, it is more practical, it is closer to work, it fits all the descriptions that they said that they wanted. Sure enough, they get back and their home's remodeled, and it does look great remodeled, but it just is not quite there when compared to the other home. And so then, you know, they do this thing, if you've ever seen the show, the husband and the wife they are over there talking, and you know. And you can just see all the emotions going. And what's interesting, before you get to that decision, whether they're going to love it or they're going to list it, it's very interesting. They're complaining. They're complaining to the realtor. They're complaining to Hillary that she's not fixing things right. The reason is we all want to be comfortable. We all want to be safe. We all want everything to work exactly right. Then, sure enough, when the decision came, they went with their emotions. And the lady won. And she smiled. We're going to love it. And I'm sure the husband was saying, we're going to love it. But that house was way better. But you know, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ... We let our emotions get in the way with connecting with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't say, come to me and I will make your life comfortable. Jesus didn't say, come to me and I will make your life safe. It's very interesting. When when I talk to somebody that's going through a very difficult time, whether it's a counseling or just, just trying to get together and talk and listen with them, what I usually notice is that they just want everything to to be all nice and safe and comfortable. But that doesn't work that way because life is messy. Life is hard. Life is strained. And Jesus says something that is totally radical. He says, if you actually want to follow me, guess what? You're going to have to lose your life. And that requires a death to self, a death to our desire for comfort. And so if we want to stay connected to the vine of comfort and safety, guess what? We will bear no fruit. Our relationships, not only with Christ, but our relationships with others will not bear fruit. They will not be healthy and strong. Comfort is a false vine. Here's the second one. Certainty. Last week, I had the the privilege to be at a Catalyst Conference, which I like to go. It's a leadership conference, and this leadership conference was on actually our own emotional and mental health. And it was interesting, one of the themes that kept getting repeated over and over and over again was this concept of certainty. Certainty is sort of that desire to be in the know, to know everything that is going to happen in the future so that we can move forward. And basically, the point of the conference was, if you desire to have certainty, guess what's going to happen if you desire to have certainty? You're going to drive yourself emotionally and mentally crazy. You see, when the disciples were with Jesus, they wanted to know what was going to happen, what was going to happen next. Even after the resurrection, they were like, is this when you're going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus is saying, you don't need to know all the details. All you need to do is trust me. All you need to do is follow me. You see, this concept of certainty is the desire to know everything about the future before we move forward. I don't know, has anybody ever felt like they're stuck in life? Any hands to that? I get it all the time. And when you're stuck in life, usually the issue is you want to be certain. You want to have knowledge of what's going to happen before you move forward. You will never be able to have knowledge before you move forward. In fact, life is full of uncertainty, life is unpredictable. Life isn't just you do this and this is going to happen. It just doesn't work that way. And so life is filled with tons of uncertainties. And what Jesus wants us to do is to trust him so that we can move forward. You see, if we knew everything in advance that was going to happen, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need courage. We wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need to trust. We would just move forward. It's very interesting. We need to understand that when the the gospel writer John wrote this, there was another false religion out there at that time. And it, it it was a Gnostic religion. Gnostic and Gnosticism talks about knowledge. And people used to think that if you knew God, you could do whatever you wanted. And so what What John wants to say, knowledge is not just about being free to do whatever you want. Knowledge is about having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You you remember in John 14, after what Brian was talking about last week, after he talks about "I I am the way, the truth, and the life, he starts talking about knowing the Father and knowing the Son and having a home, a relationship with him. You see, if you want to get connected to Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers up front. It means, as we've sung about, that Jesus is going to go with you in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your questions. If you want to be comfortable and you want to have everything for certain, you will not be able to bear fruit, and to have healthy relationships. The third one really is tied to everything, and that is control. I've even joked around up here, I am a control freak. A lot of us are control freaks. We want to be in control. We want to be in control of our emotions, of our thoughts, and more importantly, we want to be in control of others. That's why I say this is the definition of Of control. Control is a desire to be in charge of our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. And to be in control of other people's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And if you live your life like this, guess what? You're going to have what is called anxiety. Because the only person you can control is yourself. And sometimes you can't even control yourself. My family gives me a hard time. Because they say sometimes that, I'm not emotional, but when it comes to watching movies, I'm overly emotional. Have you ever tried not to cry during a movie because you know your family's going to make fun of you? <laughs> it's it very, very hard to control that. So I think it was actually a couple Sundays ago after church, and we were just sitting around as a family. There wasn't any sports on or anything. So uh, McKinsey started to watch the movie, If You Could Only Imagine. Has anybody seen the movie, oh, If You Could Only Imagine? If not, I would encourage you to watch it. I don't know what my problem was, if I was emotional that day or what. I just was crying and crying and crying and snot's coming out all over the place. I could not control my emotions. And I'm just like, oh, now they're going to have another reason to make fun of me and all those sort of things. Listen up. Really, in life, the only thing you can sort of control is where your mind goes. You can't control whether a negative thought is going to pop in, but you can control what you're going to do with that negative thought. You can't control whether a bad situation is going to come your way, but you can control how you're going to respond to that bad situation. This is a false vine that needs to be destroyed. So, I don't know about you, but I fall into a lot of these categories, and when I am connected to these false vines, there is no fruit in my life. There is no connection with Christ, and it impacts every relationship I have. My relationship with Michelle, my relationship with Micah and Mackenzie and Mason, it impacts my relationship with you guys in the church, and it impacts my own relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is and who is the true vine? And again, the true vine is Christ. Six times he says, remain in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Connect with me. He is the only connection that we should be intentional about building. When it comes to our spiritual relationship with our heavenly father. Now, what does Christ want? Christ desires to have a relationship with you that is real and genuine. That's why Jesus Christ was always getting on the Pharisees. Jesus was always giving the Pharisees a hard time. He was confronting the Pharisees because they were wanting a relationship that wasn't genuine and real. They wanted a relationship that was based upon rules. Jesus wanted a relationship that was based upon love. In fact, in John 13, he, he, he focuses in on all the commandments. There's one commandment I want you to do, and it's a new one. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. You, you got to see this in verse 7. Notice what Jesus says and. If there's a summary verse for what is going on in John 15, it's verse 7. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Some of us think, oh, well, that's a blanket promise that I can just pray whatever I want. Notice the words if you remain in me and my words, again, He's not talking about the scripture here. He's talking about the words of a relationship that he has with us, that he's talking with us and communicating with us what he wants us to do. That requires a relationship and a connection. He goes on in verse 8. He says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so to prove yourself to be my disciples. And here's where the rubber meets the road for all of us. Are people attracted to us? Not with our physical looks, but are people attracted to us spiritually? Do they see something in us that is attractive or from a fruit standpoint? Do they see Christ in us? The other day, and... Again, I don't have this down perfect, but I was in a restaurant like I normally am a lot because I do love to eat, and I love to eat out with people. Sometimes I like to eat out by myself. And I was in a restaurant, and um, somebody started talking to me. And actually, it's somebody that's uh, always at this restaurant, and, and they work there. And they said, hey, I want you to think about me because today's the day that my mom died. And it's been 17 years. And again, they, they know that I'm a pastor, but I, I never try to highlight that I'm a pastor. Hopefully they see something in me that knows that I have a heart that cares about them. And then they went on to say, we started talking about some other issues, and then they, they started talking about an employee that actually had died of a drug overdose. And so we were talking about that. And one of the things that was, struck me was that People want to talk to people that they know have something to share with them. And if people are not coming to you, whether it's the family, whether it's leadership in the church and church people coming to you with answers about or with questions about life and the difficulties of life, maybe the the issue is you're not connected with Christ and there's There's not fruit there. But the reverse can be true. I don't want to put anybody on a guilt trip. They may not be connected with Christ and they may not be able to see your fruit. They may not be able to recognize the fruit that is right in front of them. So how would I summarize this passage? This is sort of what I see in this passage. But basically what... John is doing is he is saying if you do A then B will follow. Now I've talked in the past just because you do A doesn't mean do A and B that your life's going to be great. That's not how life works but Jesus is doing something different here. He's talking about a principle about connection and fellowship and so I use this principle a lot when I talk to you. And so the gospel of john is built upon this premise so i usually say if you believe in christ then what will happen then you will have eternal life your life will be changed forever and so the whole series was based upon this principle that if you believe in jesus christ as the bread of life guess what you will find satisfaction in life because you're eating from the bread of life if you believe in jesus christ He is the light of the world. He will guide your steps. If you believe in Jesus Christ, He is the gate. And guess what? He will let you come in and out and have a wonderful relationship with Him that is based upon love and protection. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your life's going to be better. Why? Because He is the good shepherd. And He will take care of you. This is also true if you follow Christ you will be better at life. Not that your life will always be perfect, but if you follow Christ, your life will be better.